He says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask for the help of your spirit now as we've sang and prayed and worshiped. Lord, we want to continue in our worship now by opening up our hearts to hear what the word of God would want to say to us this morning. So Lord, prepare us accordingly. We ask you to bless your word and that your Holy Spirit who inspired it would now be our teacher and the one who we would hear speaking directly to our hearts. Meet us where we're at, Lord, and speak to us very clearly by your voice. And we ask together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes the end of something is absolutely necessary for the start or the beginning of something better. Sometimes that's an essential process. And I tell you this, God delights to take what dies and sometimes restore it back to life. And amazingly, God has the power to give life to the dead. It does not matter to God what has ended or come to an end in any way. God can bring restoration. God can bring renewal. God can raise things back to life. That's what we celebrate on this particular Sunday morning, this wonderful reality of God's power to do such. And sometimes in order for God to give what's better, sometimes God has to first allow something to die in order to then give it new life. And our text today emphasizes this spiritual reality, this wonderful reality that God at times will do that and certainly did that most importantly through Jesus who can make all things new for us as people. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. The Bible teaches that God desires for you and I to experience new life through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, during Jesus' earthly life while he was here as a man, Jesus stated that the reason that he came was specifically to save mankind from our condition and reconcile us back into relationship with God. Jesus repeatedly predicted with his words when he was on the earth that he must be, he said, rejected, that he must suffer many things. He said that he must be killed and that he then must rise again from the dead the third day. And history is very clear in proving that Jesus of Nazareth accomplished exactly what he said that he would, that he fulfilled exactly what he predicted would take place in his life. And see, that's because it was necessary, all of those things, in order for God to provide us the forgiveness of our sins of our failures and the things we're guilty of doing wrong. It was necessary for God to provide us the gift of eternal life that we might live in heaven after our life here on this is over. 
that it was necessary for God to be able to bring us into a personal relationship with him through Jesus. And all throughout the pages of the New Testament, the truth is repeatedly declared that after Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins and then was buried in a tomb, that three days later he rose again from the dead that he raised back up among the realm of the dead back to new life. In fact, the Gospels declare to us in the accounts there that when Jesus' disciples came to the tomb early in the morning, it says they found it empty, and the angel said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, as he said. The New Testament epistles Paul in Corinthians chapter 15, the first letter says, Christ is risen indeed. We know that when we get to other places, the book of Acts tells us that Jesus was seen alive by many witnesses for over a month after he rose from the dead. Revelation chapter one, Jesus in his glorified body declares, I am he who lives, who was dead. Literally, it's who became dead and I am alive forevermore. And our text today that's in front of us that we're going to look at is one of the multitudes of New Testament passages that make reference to the fact that Jesus is alive from the dead. It says right there in verse 15, the very center of the passage we're going to look at right there, it says that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And this passage speaks specifically of some of the benefits, we might say, that are available to us as the result of Jesus rising back from the dead, of Jesus being alive today as a resurrected king, that things can change for us and a completely new life will be available to us. Now, 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, basically Paul has been speaking about how through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there are wonderful things available. There's daily help amidst our human suffering and struggle through Jesus' power, to be supplied to us, that though we may go through trials and difficulties and hardships, that the living Jesus can give us present power to help us in the midst of our struggles and difficulties. And that Paul says in these chapters, we don't have to lose heart. Though the outward man may be perishing, our body may be suffering or struggling, that there's always still this unseen eternal realm. And that we don't always have to live life strictly upon what we can see with our eyes. He says, look, what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. And no matter how it looks circumstantially, we can always know there is a spiritual and an eternal realm that's not seen with the natural eye that is more real technically than even everything in this physical realm. And so therefore, we don't have to lose heart when life is difficult and we go through difficulties. We have to learn to walk by faith in those spiritual and eternal realities and to trust that this living, risen Jesus can give us power and daily strengthen us and renew us in the midst of the things that we're going through. And we can take heart that in the end, he tells us in chapter five, the beginning of it, that one day we will escape this life and we will be in the presence of our God. That if our trust is in Jesus, that there's a new glorified body and a completely new eternal existence, free from pain and hardship and death and suffering that we can enter into with our Lord. Yet until that time, how shall we live? How do we live until that time? Well, 
Paul's going to tell us here in these verses to live in unity with Jesus means the experience of many new and wonderful things. Look with me back at the beginning of verse 14, where he speaks of now some of these, as I said, benefits of the resurrection of Jesus. We want to draw your attention to. He says, first of all, in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. So take note here, if you're a note taker or someone who pays attention, one benefit of Jesus specifically, we see here in this text very clearly saying there in verse 14 is it allows us the opportunity to experience a brand new motivation to direct our desires. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus allows us to experience a brand new motivation to direct our desires. He speaks here, Paul says, how now it is the love of Christ, the love of Jesus, he says, that compels us. Your translation may say constrains us or even controls us. The word compel means to be driven by a force to do something. It's a word that speaks of an intense motivation from what we're experiencing without or within to drive us or move us in a particular direction. It can refer both to a restraining force as well as a coercing force. In other words, it can speak of how something is holding us back from taking a particular path and keeping us and restraining us from going a particular way. Or it can speak of how it's something that's coercing us to move in a particular direction or path and it's just so hard to resist because we feel so coerced that we just need to go in this direction. This is the word that Paul is using here when our desires are directed by some powerful influence that we're experiencing in our life. And what is that powerful influence? Paul says, it's the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that's this powerful influence that we can experience. And take note there in verse 14 in the text, he does not say love for Christ compels us. You see what he says there? He says it's the love of Christ that compels us. The emphasis here particularly is not speaking foremost on our love for Christ or our love for Jesus. Yes, that has its influence, That has a secondary influence of maybe why we might live the way that we live. But what Paul's wanting to draw our attention to is not our love for Jesus, but Jesus's love for us. The love that Christ has for us and has shown for us. In fact, always remember context is king when you study the scriptures. And the context of the passage is clearly about how Jesus demonstrated his love for us. There's repeated references there in verse 14 and 15 to what? He died for all. Christ died for us and rose again, whereby multiple times he's speaking about the demonstration of Jesus' love for us and what he did. John tells us in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love because Jesus laid down his life for us. In other words, the Bible says the way that we genuinely know the love of God is by looking at what Jesus did for us. It's not by what's going on in my life right now. How has my past year been? How do I feel today on Easter? Miserable, stressed out about dinner afterwards. The aunt that I'm going to see again. It's not about... I feel miserable or sad or sorrowful because life's not the way I want it right now. And look, I realize holidays stir up all those kind of things. 
The way that we know the love of God is to look at Jesus sacrificially laying down his life for you. To do the absolute best he could, suffering and sacrificing to demonstrate the fullness of his love. And this is the love of Jesus most clearly demonstrated in him in a substitutional way, dying on the cross for our sins, taking our suffering and our punishment for the sins that we commit, dying in our place substitutionally. And then his love demonstrated that he overcame the power of sin, death and hell for us and now because Jesus is alive today we can experience his love firsthand we're not trying to experience the love of one who did something wonderful as a religious figure but then died and is buried in a grave or a tomb we're experiencing the love of one who overcame death who offers a living personal relationship as one who is alive as one who can allow us to experience his unconditional love. And that's the love of Jesus. It's unconditional love. That despite our background, despite your past or present mistakes, despite how broken or sinful our condition, despite whatever condition we may be in, he offers us forgiveness for all of our failures. And he continues to offer us his grace and blessing that we don't deserve in our lives, extending to us continually his love, his kindness, his grace, his blessing, his mercy, his acceptance, his peace, and even his presence that we can experience his love, maybe when no one else seems to love us in our lives, causing us to powerfully sense the great depths of Jesus' love. Not for the world, but his love for you. His love for you in a very personal way. And because he's alive, he wants us to know and experience that. And we can experience that daily. And Paul's saying here, it's that experience that compels us. It's that experience of when we experience for ourselves firsthand the love of Jesus towards us. It gives to a person a new motivation. It directs your desires in a whole different way. Knowing his love for us has a powerful influence on our inward desires. Paul says that's what coerces us. That's what restrains us. That's what compels us and drives us to live the way we live and at times not live in ways that we know we shouldn't. It's the love of Jesus towards us that actually holds us back from taking wrong paths. It's not making a line in the sand saying, well, I know I shouldn't do it, so I'm going to huff and puff and count the ten, and I'm just, I just, I know I shouldn't do it. No, it's when you know how much Jesus loves you that you look at something that's sinful or wrong and you go, I can't do that anymore. I, after what he did for me, I couldn't do that to him. It's the love of Jesus that can restrain us, and it's stronger than any religious rule because it rules your heart in a powerful way. It's the love of Jesus that coerces us to perhaps urge and prompt us to walk in ways that we never walked in before because out of love for him, we want to love him back now and we want to please him. And so that responsive love back towards him becomes the greatest motivator. Look, one of the reasons Jesus died and rose again and now lives today as the risen Lord, one of the reasons I tell you this is so that you can experience his love for you. 
so that you can experience his love in a personal way in your life because love is stronger than any religious rule. And Jesus today perhaps is offering to you a reminder that maybe one of the most wonderful prayers you could pray this day is, Jesus, would you just in a fresh way let me experience your love for me? Jesus, I just need to sense. I need to sense in a fresh way. Or maybe, Jesus, for the first time, would you help me to experience and know your love for me? For me. That you love me to the depths that you do. Look, this morning, despite how you feel right now, despite how others may have treated you or what's going on circumstantially, know today the risen Jesus loves you tremendously. You are greatly loved. No matter what is going on in your life, Jesus loves you just where you're at and how you're doing right now. Paul then goes on to say in verse 14 there, he says, for because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So here we see another result we can take note of regarding Jesus having risen back from among the realm of the dead. The second thing we take note of here is it also offers to us a new perspective on a purpose for living. It gives to us a brand new perspective on a purpose for living. Many people, would you agree, many people in this world today are living their lives for all the wrong reasons. They have purposes and motivations, but they're living their lives, spending their energy and their time and their efforts and sacrifice and money, and they are living hard and fast, but for all the wrong reasons. Well, look, Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and one of the reasons among many is he wants to give us a new perspective that offers us a new purpose for living for our existence on this planet. And the reason for our existence, truly, the Bible says, is that we might live for Christ. He says here in our passage that we might live for him who died and rose again. Paul declared in another place, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I tell you something, you can't say to die is gain unless for you to live is Christ. If for you to live is career, to die is going to be disappointment. If for you to live is money or to live is success, or, or to, and, and we can fill in lots of things there. Paul says in the, the writing of Colossians, Christ who is our life. A lot of times, look, there are many wonderful, noble things that we can kind of live for. They drive us. But, but sometimes we can make the mistake of, look, it, maybe perhaps this morning for you to live is your children. It's great that you love your children, but you can't live for your children. Because guess what they do? I'm finding out they get engaged and they're going to get married and they're going to move away. You, you, can't live for you, you can't live for your spouse. What if your spouse gets ill and God takes them home prematurely? You can't live for your career. Live for, nothing wrong with these things in a secondary sense, but if you live for Christ, there's no disappointment in that. It gives purpose for living, reason for living, and it ultimately allows you then, even when you die, then you gain everything. You lose nothing. You gain everything wonderful when you understand that is your purpose. Notice Paul repeats two times in our text here. He says that one, that's Jesus, died for all. 
He's speaking of the substitutionary death of Jesus that one died for the sake of or the benefit of all people, referring to what Jesus did. We might say Jesus basically left heaven, came to this earth to live as a man in a body of flesh just like us, leaving the throne of God. He came to heaven to live on earth as a man in order to basically, listen, unwind everything that Adam, the first man on earth, messed up. To basically fix and resolve everything that went wrong in Adam's sin against God and failure. In fact, Romans chapter 5 speaks about this reality of how Jesus came and Jesus lived the sinless life that we could not. And then Jesus satisfied in doing that God's righteous requirement for us to have access into heaven. See, Jesus, as the mediator on our behalf, he lived out the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live out because we, we fail continuously. And then Jesus offered his sinless, perfect life to God as a gift and then took the punishment dying in our place because sin has to be punished. God's a holy, righteous God. God must punish sin. And Jesus said, there, I live the perfect life on their behalf, Father. And now, on top of that, Father, I am going to take the punishment and death and, and judgment they deserve so that they can experience my righteousness and acceptance in what I did right and that they can be, in a sense, removed from the penalty and the punishment of everything they've done wrong because I'll take the punishment for them. And this incredible exchange happened where Jesus did what he did for us. It tells us in Romans 5, through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, how much more those receiving abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so one man's righteous act brought the free gift that came to all men, resulting in justification of life. See, this great exchange happened. Jesus stepped in, resolved everything that Adam ruined for humanity, and therefore Jesus provides the offer of salvation now to all mankind. There is opportunity now freely available for anyone to partake of what Jesus provided for us. Forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, access to heaven, the opportunity to have a relationship with the Father by exchanging his life for our life that was ruined by sin and what Adam did. And if we come to Jesus by faith, we can receive and experience all those benefits. That's why you notice in our text here, he says that if one died, he then makes that statement there. Then he says, if one died for all, then all died. The implication there is for those who are united to Jesus, when you come to Jesus and you're united to Jesus, in essence, from God's perspective, our old life from Adam was crucified on the cross with Jesus. It was put to death. That old connection to Adam and, and, and what he brought to pass and as consequence, our old life that was ruled by that, we might say, Adamic nature, that sinful fallen nature. We all inherit from Adam what he can pass on to us, which is physical life, but spiritual death and a sinful nature. Well, the Bible's saying that when Jesus, as the perfect man, the mediator, died on the cross for our sins that that old way of life was able, in a sense, to be put to death with Jesus and we can now be dead to that old way of life. 
We can be dead to that old fallen nature, that self-centered existence of how we once lived apart from the Lord. That's why he says here in our verses, Jesus died and rose again unto a new life so that those who live, he says, verse 15 now, that is live in Christ, those who live in Christ should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. That is out of gratitude for what Christ did for us and the awareness of what it offers to us. Out of understanding the power of Jesus' resurrection and what it provides to us, we can live differently with a change of mind and we don't have to live like the rest of the world does. We don't have to live that way any longer. He says here, we should no longer live for ourselves. See, that's the curse we inherit from Adam. The natural tendency from when we're born is human nature is selfish and self-centered. That's the natural tendency from birth, to live for ourselves. When we want the world to revolve around us, we want to serve our desires, our interests, our preferences, and if that doesn't go right, we're miserable because we live for ourselves. We may not say it outwardly, but that's how we live. We live for what we want, what we're after, and, and that's how we function naturally in our humanity from birth. And look, let me just say in light of that, perhaps maybe you've been guilty of living that way for a little too long. And maybe today it's time to stop. Maybe today it's time to cut it out, to stop living for yourself and making it all about yourself. Maybe today is an opportunity to know what Jesus did can give you power to cause you to turn away from that, to stop living self-centered, to stop living for yourself. And look, there's a better way to live. He mentions it in verse 15 there. We should no longer live for ourselves, but instead replacement for him who died and rose again. That is living for the Lord a better way to live out of gratitude and appreciation. Lord, out of what you've done for me, no one has died for me, Jesus. No one has accomplished what you've done for me, Jesus. Out of gratitude, why would I want to live for myself? Lord, you've done more for me than I've done for myself. I want to live for you, Lord. And to understand that there is now a new purpose for living and that we ought to seek to please Jesus and that Jesus, because he's alive, listen wonderfully, can provide power to stop living self-centered. He can provide power to live differently, to overcome that selfish nature that's naturally within us. And perhaps, you know, maybe even as I said, in this recent season of your life, maybe you have been serving all the wrong things. Maybe you've been living for the wrong purpose. Well, maybe that living for the wrong thing is what's having the negative impact on your life in maybe some of what you've been experiencing. Maybe some of the negative thoughts and miserable feelings and emptiness or difficult consequences and circumstances in your life is because you've been living for the wrong purpose. Can I encourage you this morning? Take heart. Jesus is alive and there's a new perspective on how to live. There's an opportunity to live life God's way, to live life the better way, to, to, to live life where you don't live for yourself, but you live for the Lord. You live for him. You know, perhaps you may even be in this room this morning and maybe you struggle with suicidal thoughts. And you say, as those who wrestle with those kind of things, you don't understand. I, I just don't have anything to live for. I, I, I just, there's no reason to live. Yes, there is. 
If you're basing whether or not you should end your life on the fact of that you have no reason to live for yourself anymore, maybe there is no more reason to live. I don't know. But there is always a reason to live even beyond yourself and your personal circumstances. It's living for someone else. You keep living by living for Jesus. Live for Jesus. There is a reason to live. Don't listen to the lying voice of the devil. You live for Jesus. You have purpose and reason and hope and fulfillment. And there's great satisfaction in doing such. So there is a reason to live. May the Lord help us by his power and resurrected life to no longer live for ourselves. But he says, live for the one who died and for rose again. He then goes on to speak of another result in regards to Jesus' resurrection in verse 16. He says, therefore, in light of him dying and rising again, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known, that is at one time, Christ according to the flesh, now we know him thus no longer. So here's another benefit to Jesus rising from the dead. It provides to us a new viewpoint on people and a new way to relate to others. A new viewpoint on how we look at people and a new way to relate to others. Paul says, therefore, in light of this reality that Jesus is risen now, he's in a glorified new body. Paul says, in light of that, interesting, verse 16, he says, therefore, because of that, we regard no one any longer. We don't consider people any longer, he says, according to the flesh. That is, according to outward external circumstances. One translation renders that, so we have stopped evaluating other people from a human point of view. That is, we no longer evaluate people outwardly by just evaluating their race or their nationality or their skin color or their ethnicity or their social status or what their past was or who they once were at one point in their life. Instead, we now view people spiritually and we relate to people differently as precious souls in the eyes of God, as people who Jesus loves and who Jesus died for and rose again. And we look at them differently now. We have a different perspective towards humanity and those around us. And Paul says the reason for that in verse 16 stems from the change that came with Jesus' own resurrection. He says there in verse 16, look at it. He says, at one point we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now, that is after he's risen from the dead, we know him thus no longer. In other words, what Paul's implying there, at one time Jesus came and lived in the flesh as a man among humanity. And they related to him in a tangible body, as a man. At one point, Jesus lived and they knew him physically through the flesh as he revealed God and as he provided payment on the cross for our sins and suffered and died for us and, then, and lived among them and did miracles. At one time, they knew Jesus according to flesh, but after Jesus died and rose again, he ascended back into heaven, back from where he came to the throne of God at the right hand of the Father. And Paul's saying, but now we don't know Jesus any longer according to the flesh. Now we know Jesus by faith and through the Spirit. We relate to Jesus spiritually now. He's not with us physically anymore. He once was, and one day he will return, and we will see him with our eyes, and we will embrace him, and whether it's when he returns or whether we go to heaven and death prior to that time, one day we will see him. But right now, Paul's saying, we relate to Jesus spiritually. We don't relate to Jesus physically, 
But spiritually, we know him by faith in a deeper way through a spiritual relationship. Now, Paul's point here is in light of how we now relate to Jesus in his resurrected form, he's saying, therefore, in the same manner, that should influence how we relate to one another, the way that we look at each other, the way that we view one another. That's what he means in verse 16. He says, because of Christ's resurrection and how we relate to him now, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. He's saying what Jesus has done has changed our outlook on people. We now see people as God sees people. We try and look at people through the lens of the resurrection and the value that these are all eternal souls that Jesus died for, that Jesus rose from the dead for that Jesus wants to work in their lives. We look at people, he says, not in who they are physically or what we know about them or how they look outwardly. You know, we look at people as these are individuals that are eternal souls, people who Jesus loves, who Jesus can change. These are people Jesus can work in powerfully. And would to God that the risen Jesus would empower us to see people the way he sees people. So difficult because so often we just relate to one another and treat one another and respond to one another according to flesh, but instead that we would relate to people the way Jesus would relate to people. That we'd be concerned about the heart condition and the reality that they are spiritual souls that he loves and can change and wants to work in their life and that we would have that sense of faith. Lord, you can work in this person's life. It doesn't matter who they are, their background. Lord, this, this person matters to you. They're valuable and that we look upon others in that way. Fourthly, Paul mentions here in verse 17, a final benefit, another glorious thing that comes through the resurrection of Jesus is is life change, powerful life change. Look how he declares it in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become New. Take note of the sort of final benefit our text gives to us here of Jesus' resurrection. It's this, is that it provides to us a whole new identity, a completely new identity, and more than that, you might say a brand new quality of life. A new identity and a brand new quality of life. You could basically say Jesus provides the opportunity for a restart, for a start over, a do-over, An opportunity to begin again, a new beginning. He speaks of a promise through being in relationship with Jesus. And notice, this is a promise to those who are in relationship with Jesus. Do you see what he says there? Look at the beginning of verse 17. He says, therefore, if, key word, if anyone, anyone has the opportunity, but if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, the idea is in a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, unified with the Lord Jesus Christ, having entered into a relationship by faith and trust in him, your identity is changed. Your status is changed in a spiritual relationship with the Lord. When we receive Jesus as our savior for our sin, when we receive Jesus' lordship over our life and make a decision to become his follower, biblically, the Bible says spiritually, we are married to the Lord. 
That's the analogy the Bible gives. That when you come to Jesus, you become married together with Jesus. And just like in a marriage, all that belongs to a groom becomes his bride. When she marries him, she inherits, experiences, is entitled to and receives everything that belongs to him. Well, the same is true spiritually. When we come to Jesus, everything that is available from Jesus in Jesus that belongs to Jesus, he now supplies to us. Eternal life, his righteousness, all the fellowship he has with the Father, all that belongs to Jesus, we inherit when our lives are with Christ, when we're in Christ in a relationship. That's why he says there, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The idea is we receive a brand new life. Life is created all over. Truly, we are no longer the same person once we come to Jesus, God creates a brand new life for us. Spiritually, supernaturally, God through Jesus creates a new life. Just like a bride, again, a bride takes a new name, right? When, when my wife chose to enter into a marriage relationship with me, she took my name. Her identity changed. Her identity and status changed as well in the sense that now she's a married woman, She's no longer a single one. Now she's a married woman. So not only her identity, but even her status, her status changed. Well, again, same idea spiritually. When you come and you receive Jesus Christ and you entered into a relationship with him, you received a new identity. You're now in Christ, which means this. Despite what your past may have been and all the filth and stains and wrong things you've done, God doesn't see you like that anymore. He sees you in Christ. He sees you clothed in the righteousness, in the holiness of Jesus because your life is unified with him. You've taken Jesus' name. That's why we say we're Christians. We're connected to Christ. And so your identity has changed. More than that, your status has changed. If you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you have a new status. You are now a follower of Jesus. You were never that before you came to Jesus you were probably more like a self-centered jerk like I was. But now you don't live for yourself. Now you live for the Lord. You live for the one who died and rose. Your status changed. You're a child of God now. You're a brand new person. You received something wonderful as a follower of Jesus. You're now, I don't do social media, but isn't there a thing on social media where you can put like your status, right? in a relationship or something like that, right? Look, as a Christian, your, your status changed. You're in a relationship. You're in a relationship with Jesus. And when you're in a relationship, you should live like you're in a relationship. You have someone to live for, to love back, to honor and to live according to a certain way. Now, to further drive home that wonderful reality, look what Paul says at the end of the verse in verse 17. The Holy Spirit prompts Paul to assure us of something wonderful. He says, if you're in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice there, from God's perspective spiritually, God sees this as a reality right now for you in Christ. From God's perspective, when you came into a relationship with Jesus, those old patterns, those old ways of life, your old form of living, God says it's gone. He says right there, look at it, the old things, he doesn't say will pass away. He says old things 
have. Notice the word. Old things have passed away. From God's perspective, he declares what he believes to be true. Old things, he says, have passed away. The transforming power of Jesus puts an end to those old ways that once defined my life, to those old patterns and habits that once governed and ruled over the way that I lived out my existence. And he desires that we experience this by faith and that we yield to this biblical and spiritual reality that, look, you are no longer who you once were. Don't let the devil make you think that. You are no longer who you once were. When you embrace Jesus, your old life was put to death. Old things passed away. It was crucified with Christ. And now through the resurrection power of Jesus and you being joined in the new resurrected life of Jesus, he therefore says, verse 17, all things have become new. Everything is brand new. You received a new life, a brand new way to live. You're not the same old person. You're a new person now. You may not feel like a new person, but God says, I don't care how you feel. By faith, you are a new person. You're like a virgin bride all over again. You're like a brand new baby born that was just beginning life. You experience a miracle by the power of God that gives you a do-over, a restart. You have the opportunity to begin as a brand new person with a brand new life. And when we come to Jesus and experience his salvation, we must remember, listen, Jesus changes us. He transforms us despite what you may think or feel about yourself or despite, listen, how you might have once viewed yourself. Please know this morning on the authority of God's word, Jesus changed your old identity. You have a new identity now. Jesus changed your old status. You have a new status now. Jesus changed your old condition. You have a new condition. Jesus changed your old life and he supplied you a brand new life. And that means something very important. That means this morning, if you are in a relationship with the risen Christ, no matter who or what you once were, that's not what you are anymore. On the authority of God's word, God declares things changed. Old things pass away. All things become new. You are a brand new person. That means this morning, if you are in relationship with Jesus, listen, you are not worthless. You're not broken. You're not fractured. You're not ruined. You're not hopeless. That means this morning, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're no longer a thief. You're no longer a liar. You're no longer an adulterer. You're no longer someone who's a pervert. You're no longer someone who's a pornography addict. You're no longer someone who's an alcoholic. You're no longer an addict. You're no longer, you fill in the blank because you're new. It may have been what you were, but don't live out your Christian experience thinking, well, I'm just a renovated this or a renovated that. No, no. The Bible says the power of Jesus put all the old things to death. You are no longer that. That's what the devil want to remind you are. And sometimes in our flesh, that's what we want to remember we are because it's almost like we want to give ourselves an option if we want to slip back in it. Well, I just, that's what I always was. I just finally fell. 
No. Believe by the victory and the power of Jesus, you're a new creation. We may have weaknesses and tendencies, but believe you're someone different. Jesus changed you. Jesus healed you. Jesus set you free. You are a redeemed, regenerated child of the living God. With the power of Jesus Christ and his acceptance available to you to now live as a servant of Christ. And here's the key. You and I then have to decide, will we believe and live according to what God says of us? Or what others say of us or how we feel about ourselves? Again, Romans 6 tells us, to the Christian, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, even so we may have new lives. New lives. Brand new lives. By faith through yielding in the power of Jesus' resurrection who overcame death, the Bible guarantees us we can, not might, we can live a new life in victory. By believing what God says and yielding to the power that he provides, you don't have to regress to what you were. You're new. You're different. By the power of Jesus, he made you a brand new person with a brand new life. And if you're a believer today by faith, I want to encourage you on this Resurrection Sunday, believe who you are. Believe who the Bible says you are. Believe what Jesus did for you. Receive it for yourself, trust it, enjoy the liberty of the new life Jesus gives you through his resurrection power and walk in that victory. Yield to that power of Jesus. He lives within you by the power of his spirit. So therefore, look, he can enable you to keep living new because he lives within you. And it's his power within you that overcame death that can continue to do that in you. And you already possess the gift of eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life because he's the eternal son of God, which means if you have Jesus, you possess eternal life. And therefore, listen, your death is just a transition. That's all it is. And those who've known Jesus and gone on before us, their death was just a transition. They've entered into the presence of the Lord. And so therefore, we have that hope of reunion and resurrection and being together with them that we can trust that when a loved one in Christ dies, we're not saying ultimately goodbye. We're saying, see you soon because we believe in resurrection and Jesus overcame death and we will see each other again. And to have that glorious hope through what Christ has done for us. And I want to say to you this morning as well, look, if you're not a Christian, all of this, is freely available to you. Jesus loves you. He provided it all for us. You must believe your needy condition and accept what he's offering. And if you accept what Jesus is offering this morning, all of your sins and guilt can be forgiven and removed by Jesus. You can have the assurance you're going to go to heaven after you die. And today, if you come to Jesus and submit to him and trust in him, he can give you a brand new new start a reason to live to live for him would you stand with me let's pray together